This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. On your itinerary this week, local expert Gary Arndt shares tips for your next photography trip to Antarctica. Are you a local expert? Well, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line on Twitter at your itinerary and let me know about your favorite spot. Maybe I'll even interview you for our next local expert series. Welcome to Your Itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and my guest for this local expert episode is Gary Arndt. Hi, Gary, and thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me again. Now, Gary's traveled around the world so much that he could probably be considered a local expert for a lot of places. But um, I asked him what location he'd like to talk about, and the first thing that popped into his head was Antarctica. He he didn't miss a beat. That was... um, that was the spot that you wanted to talk about. Now, Gary, why uh, why Antarctica was the why was that the first spot that you came that came to your mind? I think for a lot of people, Antarctica is like the place you go when you've been everywhere else. You know, it's the last continent. It's very difficult to get to, and very few people go there. And if you've seen photos, uh, you probably know it, it's an incredibly beautiful landscape, and you're going to get to see it. It's a it's a photographer's paradise. You could stay up pretty much all day and when you go the sun's pretty much up all day and uh, pretty much be taking pictures non-stop either of ice or landscapes or the animals you see. Gotcha. Now tell me a little bit more about that. Obviously you've seen the pictures of uh, icebergs and the landscape and that kind of stuff. What other, what sort of wildlife do you expect to see there? Uh, well, let me, let me back up a second. When we talk about Antarctica, so Antarctica is, is an entire continent, but if you visit Antarctica, there is a 99% chance of what you're talking about really is the Antarctic Peninsula. So when you look at a map, you'll see a, a bit of land that juts up and is like an arm going towards the bottom tip of South America. And that's the Antarctic Peninsula. And that's pretty much where everybody goes and pretty much where you want to go. There are other options. So I have a friend right now who's trying to get to the South Pole. And he left via Cape Town. They did a flight. They landed on the ice. They end up flying to the South Pole. It's $80,000, and pretty much you see a white landscape that goes out to infinity. It's not really a photogenic place. So the Antarctic Peninsula is really kind of what we're talking about when we talk about Antarctica. It's the most accessible. It has the best weather, and it also has the most wildlife because it's also because it's the warmest and the northernmost point of land in the continent. I see. Okay, so, so how do you... How do you get there? What, where do you fly into to begin your journey to get to Antarctica? 90%, I would say, of everybody that goes to Antarctica will be doing so through Ushaya, Argentina, which is the southernmost city in the world. So you're probably going to get a flight to Buenos Aires, and then from Buenos Aires you fly down to Ushaya, which is a pretty small city. I want to say it's maybe... 5,000 people during the summer, which is, of course, the North American winter, and it's probably half that number uh, in the winters there when things kind of close down. It's right near Tierra del Fuego National Park in Argentina. So in addition to going to Antarctica, there's tons of photographic opportunities in that region because Tierra del Fuego is just absolutely beautiful. There's mountains and glaciers and just so much to do there that even if for whatever reason you didn't get to go to Antarctica, you could probably still make a pretty good trip out of it. Nice. And how long of a trip would you expect to take if you're, if you're on schedule and you fly there and then you, you go to Antarctica? Um, what should you spend a week? Should you spend a month? What, uh, what sort of trip is it? 
the shortest trip you're probably going to be able to make by ship is going to be about six days. Mm-hmm. And that would be about a day and a half to two days going from Ushaya to Argentina, two or three days there, and then the same amount of time coming back. So you're looking at six or seven days on the ship, and that's pretty much the minimum. There are some other options. I just talked to a supplier um, from Chile uh, when I was at World Travel Market. What they do is they fly from Chile to the very one of the very northernmost islands in the Palmer Peninsula, and then from there you get on a boat and spend some time. So you can cut down your time doing that, but it's a more expensive option. And I should also add the other reason why some people would want to consider flying instead of taking a ship is because the seas from you know uh, Cape Horn to the Antarctic Peninsula are some of the worst in the world. It's called the Drake Passage. And you can have experiences where the sailing there is quite nice, or it can be absolutely horrific. Um, so if you do get on the ship, you're going to probably, if you're in any way, shape, or form uh, subject to motion sickness, talk to the ship's doctor. They usually have different types of medication. And I would look into getting a patch that goes behind your ear, kind of like one of those smoker's patches, mm-hmm. but it's actually for motion sickness. Get it as soon as you get on the ship because you want it to start working before the ship leaves, and it's going to take, uh, I don't know, like six or eight hours to get out of the channel to get into the open sea, and that'll give your, your body an opportunity to, to start getting the medication in, inside you. Wow. So pretty much all the way around, just from what we've talked about so far, this is not a, uh, well, I'm going to fly to Antarctica for the weekend kind of a trip. This is a big deal. This is a lot of planning and um and a lot goes into this what um so when you're on the ship you said six to eight hours before you even get into the open sea is that um basically a six or eight hour boat ride or are you seeing um icebergs and things to photograph even then uh you probably definitely are going to see uh mountains uh again it's that tierra del fuego region so uh sailing out is quite beautiful and you'll definitely see photo. And you're probably, uh, depending on when the ship leaves, you'll be doing that in the late afternoon. So you may be able to catch sunset, mm. um, or at least you know the kind of golden hour light. Um, so yeah, it, it, and it, it's going to be reasonably warm at that time. So you can get up on the deck of the ship and take photos. And everyone's also kind of excited because you're going to Antarctica, and everyone is in a really good mood. I'm sure. I'm sure. So is this something that normally you're going to book pretty far in advance or are the, um, you know, do the good berths sell out early or how do you, uh, how do you go about organizing your, your boat transportation? Uh, yeah, there are only a limited number of ships that go to Antarctica. And if I recall from, from memory, I think it's around 20 to 25 ships sail to Antarctica every season. And that number, you know, goes up and down a couple every season, but that's primarily it. And I think it's around 24,000 people visit Antarctica every year. So that's wow. pretty much it. Um, the, uh, the company I went with, which, full disclosure, is also one of my sponsors, G-Adventures, they sell out their Antarctica, they sell out their ship every year for Antarctica. And it's, it's selling out sooner and sooner. So you're definitely going to have to plan ahead. Uh, at least six months, I would think, if not, uh, you know, a little bit more, maybe nine months or even a full year. So right now we are recording this in December, 2014, probably wouldn't be able to do it in 
early 2015, so you would want to start thinking about the 2015-2016 season. Gotcha. There is an exception to this, however, uh, and I know a couple of people that have pulled this off. And what you do is if you want a discount ticket, and we're looking at maybe 25% off the price of a ticket, and a ticket can go from, I don't know, you're looking at like the four to $5,000 range for your basic voyage to Antarctica. What you do is you just show up in Ushaya without a ticket, and uh, you see if there are any ships sailing soon that have an open berth. And usually they want to sell that spot because, you know, if they go, they're, they're not making any money off of it. So I know people that have been able to do it for about $3,000. The risk, of course, is you fly all the way down to the southernmost point in the world, and you know you, you don't get to go to Antarctica. But like I said before, the the upside is there's plenty to do in that region in terms of photography and in terms of visiting you know natural sites. So it wouldn't be a total bust. Right. Yeah. So if you were just a real seat of your pants traveler and and didn't mind changing plans at the last minute, that might be a good way to save, like you said, a couple grand anyway. Yeah, and you need to have flexibility with your schedule as well. Oh, and the I other see. thing I should point yeah, the other thing I should point out, so um, like I said, six days I think is about your minimum trip, and I think they can go nine to twelve days as well, and that's just basically going to the Antarctic Peninsula and back, depending how far down you go and how much time you spend. Most of the tour operators, once or twice a year, will also do a cruise where they visit either the Falkland Islands and or South Georgia Island. And if you look at a map, the Falcons is like due east of Argentina, and South Georgia is a little bit beyond that. And uh, South Georgia is completely uninhabited. Um, I think there's a scientific base there. That's it. And it was where Ernest Shackleton ended up uh, rescuing his crew. He got in a lifeboat, went there, found some whalers, and uh, eventually rescued him. And if you get the opportunity to do that, I highly, highly, highly recommend going to South Georgia Island because I think it is one of the most fantastic places in the world. You get off, so the way you uh, you do landings in the, in the Antarctic or in South Georgia or any of these places is you have these inflatable Zodiac ships. They take about 10 people. You have a Zodiac driver, pulls up on the beach, which is normally rocks, and uh, you kind of get out, you're there until it's time to leave. When you arrive at South Georgia, some of the beaches will have 100,000 penguins on the beach. And you can't see that many animals probably anywhere else in the world. Wow. Maybe the Serengeti migration, uh, maybe uh, migrating caribou up in Alaska, and that's about it. But it's just as far as the eye can see, penguin, 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 penguin. You know, And they have king penguins, gentoo penguins, chinstat penguins. Uh, Adelie penguins, macaroni penguins, rock hopper penguins, um, you name it. And the penguins have absolutely no fear of humans. Uh, there's a significant fur seal population. And the, the thing you're going to notice, depending on what time of year, so the season goes roughly to uh, November through the end of February, sometimes in early March you'll see a, a few cruises. And what you're going to see, the way it's different, is basically what animals – have given birth. So if you're going very early in the season, you're going to get to see gigantic elephant seals sparring with each other. The males fight each other for the females to, to create a harem. And these are really big animals. We're talking like you know 2,000 pounds, very, very large animals. And they just get 
massively bloody, and it's, it's Discovery Channel type stuff in full effect. Um, a little later in the year, you're going to start to see the king penguins in places like South Georgia. They have their chicks. Uh, the chicks were still fledging when I was there. I went in uh, January 2012. You're going to see a lot of fur seal pups as well, which are just incredibly cute. And if you go later in the year, you're, most of them will probably have, um, you know, they're, they're, they may have fledged at that point, and some of them may have gone out to sea already. So it's, it's, that's what you're really going to see at different times of the season when you go to Antarctica. Interesting. So if you had to pick one particular season to recommend, what would you what would you say? In other words, I, I, I did it in January, and I really liked it. But uh, next time... And I, and I almost certainly will go again. I'm going to try to do it earlier just so I can see those elephant seals sparring because I, I've seen some of the photos and it's absolutely amazing. Sure, sure. That'd be a great opportunity to shoot some video too with the, you know, with oh yeah, video enabled DSLR or mirrorless, whatever. Cool. Um, so, as far as lodging, you're basically sleeping on the ship. Is that right? Yes. Um, there are no hotels. Uh, you may have the option of camping out one night. Uh, I know a lot of ships do that, so they have tents and sleeping bags, and so you can say that you slept in Antarctica, uh, but that's pretty much your only option. You're, you're going to be on the ship, and uh, there's an organization called IATA, which is the uh, International Association of Antarctic Tour Operators, and they have a series of guidelines in terms of how they behave when they're there, and... So uh, what you can do and how many people can be off the ship at any given one time, there are limits. And so I, I don't think that, that that would be an option even if it were something that was doable. I see. So what are the chances of you uh, getting there on your ship and you want to jump in your Zodiac raft, but there's already too many people there from another ship? Is that, is that a possibility at all or not really? Uh, it's not because the ships are in communication with each other. Like I said, there's only a small number of ships. They talk to each other, and they say, okay, we're going to this island, or we're going to this beach. And so you very rarely see two ships at the same spot at the same time. Hmm. You may see them passing each other, uh, which we, we saw a couple ships do that, but they, they try to avoid landing at the same spot. And the reason they do that is because they don't want to ruin the experience for the people that are there. They don't want too many people on the shore at the same time for environmental reasons. And um, I think it just takes away from it. So... They try to go somewhere else. The trick is there are only so many places in Antarctica you can actually land because it's primarily, you know, ice and jagged rock. So there's only a, a couple places you can actually go. So they just need to they work out their schedules beforehand as to who's going to be where and so they can time it properly. That's great. I, I wish um, tour operators would do that in other parts of the country um, or other parts of the world. I've been on, you know, whale watching boats where there's, five, six other boats. And, you know, even if you get a picture, you're going to have three boats in it and um, things like that. That's, that's good that they do that to protect the area that they're trying to take people to. Yeah, the, the, the tour operators there, I would say pretty much across the board, uh, are pretty conscientious. I mean, they make their living from going to Antarctica, and the last thing they want to do is ruin it because they understand it's a special place. And, you know, just even from a business standpoint, that's, that's how they make their money. Sure. Sure. So is most of your photography going to be done from the ship sort of on the way to Antarctica? I mean, like you said, there's not many places to land, and, and it seems like the opportunities are kind of limited. 
um, actually on the continent. So are most of the shots that you see people get from, from the ship? It depends. Uh, you will be making about one or two landings a day, depending on weather and depending on where you happen to be. So when you're doing those landings, you're primarily going to be shooting penguins, seals, the wildlife you see, and, and whatever um, you happen to see around you in terms of landscape. Another thing we did a couple times is we just went out in our zodiacs and we, we just drove around. So they may find a big chunk of pancake ice, and what we did is we, we kind of landed our zodiac on the ice, this floating ice, and then we all got to get out of the zodiac and stand on it. Um, we did a couple others where we just went around to some icebergs and we saw some penguins jumping off. Um, and we just kind of followed the penguins around. So we, even though we never technically did a landing, you were off the ship and kind of still exploring the area. So you just need to, um, to be prepared for that. For example, on my trip, I rented a 500 millimeter prime lens from Barrel Lenses. So I lugged that along and it worked great when we did landings. But I, I didn't take it like on the Zodiac or anything, nor did I use it from the ship. I just had a, my 18 to 200 that I had with me um, for taking those shots. Gotcha. So something that's that's a little more flexible, um, so you're not changing and using the big lens all the time. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you do think that that long glass is definitely important for the landings? Uh, I'm glad I took it because even though, you know, the, the rule is you're not supposed to walk up to the penguins. Uh, but they often walk up to you because they're curious. There are still things out to a distance that you're going to want to photograph, and you're also going to want to get, you know, the, the thing to photograph with the birds is behavior. So I was able to get a lot of shots of, like, say, a penguin mother feeding her chip. And uh, for those of you watching on video, they kind of, you know, they feed each other with their beaks kind of, like, crossed like that, and they regurgitate each other's mouth. That was a really great photo, and you really need to be able to zoom in to get that kind of shot. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm, I, I would, if I go back again, I'm definitely taking a, a big lens like that. Great. And I think that's a good tip to just rent it. Like you said, from somewhere like borrow lenses or lens rentals. So, because chances are you don't need, um, you know, a 14, $15,000, 500 millimeter lens, <laughs> unless you're shooting that all the time, unless, you know, what right. you do is shoot wildlife, then absolutely that's worth the investment. But, um, you know, for a once-in-a-lifetime trip like that, then just to rent it, it makes perfect sense. And what I also did is if you have a, a really big expensive lens like that, you're also going to have probably a really big tripod that goes with it. And so what I did is I talked to the, um, the expedition team on the ship, and I said, look, I got this gigantic lens, and it's kind of a pain in the butt to take it on and off the Zodiac, so I just want to let you know. So if possible, could I either be the first or the last one off the ship? just to give you a little extra time in terms of loading it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, <clears throat> fine, no problem. And um, so just being in, there's a good chance that the ship you're on also might have a pro photographer on the ship as well. So you might want to talk with them in terms of, because they've if, if they're there for the whole season and unless it happens to be the very first trip, uh, they may know, have some ideas as to what to shoot, where you're landing, uh, or what to be looking for with certain types of species. Nice. Now, is it something that you feel like you need a guide for? In other words, um, is it a place that you would definitely recommend going on a guided tour, or can you just get on the ship and you're kind of going to see the same things? 
Uh, there really, the only non-guided option would be to take your own boat to Antarctica. Uh, so <laughs> on the ship, and, 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 and people do that, so it's not actually a joke. Uh, on the ship, you will have, and I'm just speaking from the experience I had on, on the ship I was on, which was the, uh, the G Expedition. We had professional naturalists. So we had uh, an ornithologist who was the first guy ever to breed penguins in captivity. He had gone to Antarctica like 25 seasons in a row. We had experts in uh, marine mammalogy. We had geologists. I mean, professional people, and what they do is they spend a season on the ship working. So you're going to not, in, in addition to just the regular crew that are, say, running the Zodiacs, you have really professional people on the ship because unlike, you know, going on a celebrity cruise or a Royal Caribbean or something, uh, this is really a learning experience for a lot of people. It's almost like being on a, um, a seminar, a floating seminar. So when you're doing the great crossing or in the evenings, a lot of times what you'll have is lectures by the staff where they'll talk about, okay, here's the animals you're going to be seeing. Here's the behavior you'll see. This is, you know, what the, the different sorts of ice we're going to see and how this formed and things like that. So, wow. um, yeah, you'll learn a lot in the process of doing this. And that's great because, uh, you know, it's one thing to go take pictures of birds, but when somebody can tell you what you're seeing and, um, you know, you mentioned the behavior, if you understand a little bit about that, I think it really adds to your experience for sure. Absolutely. And I think that's, what makes going to Antarctica different from uh, other sailing excursions you might do and also other things like, say, going to a safari in Africa where you're kind of, you're, you're kind of you know, a captive on the ship. So they try to entertain you, and the way they do that is by uh, doing these lectures. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that went to Africa and ended up having a, uh, a wildlife biologist on their, in their truck with them while they're shooting. So that's, that's really cool. Wow. What about um, non-photo-related activities? Is there any um, anything else fun to do when you're not shooting? Uh, there are some. <clears throat> First of all, when you're actually in the peninsula, there's ample opportunities on the deck of the ship to take photos. So I think a lot of the, uh, the shots of glaciers and ice that you're going to see, especially if the sun is very low in the sky, is going to be done from the deck of the ship. And when you're in that passage, there's, um, so if you look at a map, there's like a, a series of islands and a passage between them and the actual continent. A lot of the ships go in there, so the water is actually uh, pretty smooth. So there's lots of opportunities to do that. Um, the ship I was on, you could go up kayaking if you want, so they had a kayak master. That was something you needed to sign up for before the, uh, the trip started. But that's an option as well. Doesn't necessarily go well with photography. I don't think you want to be taking an SLR with you on a kayak. Sure. Uh, with your 500 millimeter lens. Yeah. yeah. Just isn't going to work. But that's something you can do. And then uh, if your ship stops at Deception Island, there's also an opportunity to go swimming. So the, you're probably thinking, well, you're going to freeze. And that's partially true. But on Deception Island, there's actually a thermal vent that comes up. And so there's this patch where there's hot water. So you can actually go swimming in relatively warm water. Uh, and the people who did it, I did not, uh, said you can kind of like bury your hands down in the sand. And if you put them far enough, it's actually so hot you can't really stand it for too long. Hmm. So that's kind of where most people um, do swimming if you make a stop on Deception Island. Gotcha. So it's not they don't put you in a dry suit and throw you out in the ocean or anything like that. It's, it's actually warm water 
place to swim. Yeah. That makes more sense. Uh, so you, you can say you went swimming in Antarctica if you wanted to do it. And I should say Deception Island is the location of a, uh, an old whaling station. So there's a couple places like that in Antarctica where you will see remnants of the whaling industry from the early 20th century, and that's one of them. That's cool. And I should say the other thing you'll see, uh, you'll probably make a couple stops, is that Chile, Argentina, and uh, the U.K. all have scientific bases in that region. And so you can stop there. They usually have uh, souvenirs for sale, actually. You can uh, send a postcard. So I sent a postcard from Port Lockroy, in, uh, which is the British base, and it's the southernmost post office in the world, or so they claim. And I, you can literally say they will postmark it, and they will, I think they fly it from there to the Falkland Islands and then to London, and it, it takes a really long time to get delivered. But if you want to send a postcard from someone from Antarctica, it's actually possible. <laughs> That's funny. Now, with the, with the old uh, whaling stations, is that anything you can tour and, and look around, like do any sort of like whaling exploration type photography, or, or uh, is it just something you see from the ship? Uh, no, you can, you can walk around it. Uh, on Deception Island in particular, there are these very large vats that were used for uh, rendering all the, the whale blubber. Those are still there. Everything is pretty much rusting away at this point, so it's pretty much you're visiting ruins, uh, industrial ruins. And the same is true in a couple of spots. If you visit uh, South Georgia Island, you'll see some abandoned whaling stations. Um, but they're, they're really interesting places and, and fun to photograph in their own right. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen pictures of that. Of course, I haven't really gone to look, but um, I certainly will when we get done with this interview. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Um, you know, just something besides glaciers and penguins and, and seals. Uh, sounds like a pretty well-rounded kind of a trip. It is. And, you know, I I bet there's a lot of people, if they're interested in travel photography and, and they're well-traveled, have probably thought about, maybe in the back of their head, man, it would be cool to go to Antarctica one day. But they've never really sat down and planned out, okay, like, what's this going to entail? And I think it's definitely worth the time to at least do some research, find out the companies that offer it, get an idea of what the budget is going to be. It, it's, you know, you're, you're with the plane tickets and everything else, you're looking at, you know, into the several thousands of dollars. Uh, so you should be aware of that kind of up front. But it, it is possible to get to Ushaya by bus. Uh, I know someone who did it, so you can literally take a bus from Buenos Aires to Ushaya. Mm -hmm. How long does that take? Really, it's over a day. I want to say it may even be longer than that, like 36 hours or something. It's a very long bus trip, um, but it is possible. So there are ways you can uh, reduce your cost. There are some low-budget hotels in Ushaya. Um, I actually, now that I think about it, didn't even see many high-end hotels when I was there. Um, it, it is very much a tourist town, and the business there is sending people to Antarctica. Hmm. Um and the other thing I should note, there are – so most of the – all the cruise ships that go to Antarctica are going to be around two to 400 people on the ship. So we're not talking cruise ships like you see docking in Fort Lauderdale or something like that. However, ships over 500 passengers can go to Antarctica, but they can't land. So it might be possible – to, so you may think, oh, I found a good deal to Antarctica, and it's on a larger ship, maybe for a cruise line. But just be aware that some of those ships don't do any landings. So everything you're going to be seeing is from the deck of the ship. 
you won't actually be touching the soil and you won't get up close with a lot of the wildlife. Uh, that's a great tip. Yeah, be sure if you're booking a, a berth on a ship that the ship is actually going there to stop. That's a that's a great tip. Because some people might not care. You know, some people would just be happy enough to go there and, and see it from the deck of the ship. That's true. And, I, you know, while I'm, while I'm saying it, I also should probably mention, I think you can fly from either, uh, there are flights from Christchurch, New Zealand, and I also think from Melbourne, where you can actually go on a uh, flight scene tour over Antarctica that doesn't land, but it's in like a, I think Qantas does it once a month, where they, it's like a, you know, a, a proper jet aircraft, and you fly over Antarctica. Hmm. Um, obviously, that is a much, much cheaper solution than getting on a boat and spending a week of your time uh, doing that, but you, know, you still get to at least to, to see Antarctica to, to some extent. Right, not necessarily a photographer's way to see it. Most likely, you know. No, I mean you're shooting out a window, and but right. that is an option. Sure, sure. Well, from everything you're saying, I, I'm um, my next question is about taking your family to Antarctica, and that it seems like kind of a no, unless you have older kids and that kind of thing. Um, I, I don't. I'm not planning to take my my three year old and my nine month old Antarctica based on what we've talked about. I think it would be an awful lot of money for something they wouldn't even have any idea of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't take a, uh, anybody unless they're maybe probably teenagers even, uh, where they're big enough not only to appreciate it but be physically fit to, you know, do the landings and things like that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. Well, um, you know, you mentioned doing research. What are some good resources that you can recommend for people who are who are planning and, and wanting to research a trip to Antarctica? Uh, I would just start on Google and go from there. There's a lot of information that's given on the various tour operator websites. So, um, like I said, I went with G Adventures. On their website, they, they will give a, a complete listing of all the different itineraries and options. And I think that's the first thing to figure out. What time of year? What is it you want to see? Like I said, I I strongly, strongly recommend, if you can afford the time and the money to do it, to go to South Georgia Island and the Falklands as part of your trip. So if that's something you'd like to do, research what time, you know, because they they do it at different times of the year. They don't kind of all do it at once. The number of people who go to South Georgia, like I said, about 24,000 people, I think, go to Antarctica a year. I think the number that go to South Georgia is about 2,000. Just to give you an idea of, of how few people go there. And from a photography standpoint, my my South Georgia images have done, you know, way better in terms of competitions than on social media than actually my Antarctica photos. Um, Interesting, because it's something that you see all the time. Exactly, and just you know, so many penguins. I mean, it's just it it, it almost boggles the mind. And then there's also the historical aspect of being in South Georgia because of Shackleton. Um, you actually can do the, the hike. It's like a three-hour hike where you do the last bit that he hiked uh, where he found the whaling station. He did it with snow. You need to do it, you know, with, where there's no snow on the ground. Uh, Shackleton is buried there at Gritviken, which is the quote-unquote capital of South Georgia, even though nobody really lives there. I think there's just a caretaker staff that's there in the summers. Um, and you can see some of the – there's also an old whaling station there as well, so you can visit the facilities and – they have a small museum and a chapel and things like that. Cool. And it seems like if you're going to the trouble to get all the way down there, then you'd want to take advantage of every opportunity you can. So, um, And if you don't know who Shackleton is before you go to Antarctica, you definitely have to read up on that 
that's a fascinating yeah, story. And you were mentioning research. I, I think a good one to be would be to watch uh, Frozen Planet. That was the BBC documentary that came out, I think, in 2011 um, with David Attenborough. And uh, it's, it's, it's great. It, it deals with both polar regions, both Antarctica and uh, the Arctic. But, you know, it will give you lots of inspiration. And the one thing I should note, um, there was a National Geographic documentary that came out a few years ago. I think it was the March of the, the Penguins. You're probably not going to see emperor penguins because emperor penguins live inland, not necessarily on the, on the peninsula. You'll see pretty much every other type of penguin that you can think of, except for maybe fairy penguins, Galapagos penguins, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you won't see emperor penguins. If you go to South Georgia, you will definitely see king penguins, which are almost as big as emperor penguins, but just a little bit shorter. Because a lot of people think they're going to see these emperor penguins when they go, uh, but that's actually just not the right place for them. I see. Good to know. And uh, and I think with anywhere, the more the more you know about where you're going, especially with something like that, with like Antarctica, the more you know about uh, the wildlife and the landscape and and uh, the history of it, the more you'll get out of that trip. So, um, well, Gary, thanks a lot for for being a uh, local expert on Antarctica, and hopefully, I can talk you into coming on and talking about one of the other. 50 million places that you've been and given us tips for that too. I think I can find one to talk about. <laughs> Great. Well, if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us a couple of stars and some positive feedback. And thanks for listening. And I will see you next week. You've been listening to your itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on your itinerary for travel and photography. Photography.